right. Good morning, everyone. Blessings to you all. So good to see you. You all look great. You've stood in front of the mirror this morning. Thank you. You stood in front of the mirror this morning and put your best face on, didn't you? That is awesome. And you look great. Boy, isn't it a blessing to be a part of God's family? It really is. And then I was just praying as Hamp was leading us through that song, Hamp and Missy and the rest. And um, the true believers know we need God a lot, don't we? You know, a friend of mine told me many years ago, he said, sin is kind of like um, when you get a pair of new shoes, you know, the more God, well, when you get a pair of new shoes, you don't see any marks on them, but as soon as you see a little mark on it, it just kind of highlights real badly. And uh, unfortunately, in our sin, we often get like those old beat up, scuffed up shoes, and we just don't see the problems anymore. Uh, but we want to be just the opposite. We want to be the ones who see every mark that's there and need, our, need to trust Jesus for who he is and what he's done for us. We really do need him every day. I hope we never forget that. I hope we never lose sight of that, never lose the desire for it. But anyway, it's a blessing to be in God's house today. And it's good to see many of you who haven't been able to be here with us. And it's just a joy to have you. Have a joy of, hopefully our Facebook is working. Forgive us for that. Have a little technical issue there. And if you're watching live by uh, our website, we're so glad that you're here as well. It's a blessing to have you join us. So um, I want to just start by saying thank you to those of you who are our church family here and have known a little bit about what's going on with my dad, uh, with Debbie's mom. She had to be with her this week. She's recovering well, and uh, so we were able to come on home. But uh, Debbie and I were out of town. We are planning on coming back Labor Day on Monday, but then my dad took a turn for the worst, I guess you'd say that. He's been steadily going down. Right now, he's not really eating anything, not drinking, and so we're pretty literally waiting for the phone call at any moment, uh, but we did get a chance to spend quite a bit of time with him this week, and uh, that was a real blessing. Uh, I was telling the early service that it's, it's just an incredible joy to me, uh, just as a believer, to know that in our dying days, literally, uh, the Lord is even there taking care of our needs. And so I hope that's an encouragement to you. You know, we think about those days and when they come, and we're not crazy about the process, right? And most people will say, yeah, I'm not afraid of dying. But I'm not crazy about the process. And that's just because we don't know everything in our humanness. But just know this, that even in our last moments, God is there and manifests himself in some beautiful ways. And it's just incredible. I could tell you quite a few stories. I won't take time to do that. But just let it be an encouragement to you that that is truth that God cares even in our final moments and uh, has a great plan for us. So thank you for allowing us to be away as uh, we need to at times. Uh, we've lived life with you for a lot of years now and I've uh, been through your life with you in a lot of ways and it's humbling to be on the other side. Uh, and so we just thank you for the privilege of, of having to be gone at times. Uh, I'm not sure what this week will look like, uh, by way of announcement, uh, and this is also a thank you and a forgiveness and all that kind of stuff about Wednesday night, uh, I'm sorry for us having to postpone last Wednesday night's start of our discipleship class. The plan is to start this Wednesday night at 6.30, but please uh, be flexible with that as we just don't know what's going to be happening with that. So uh, enjoy your prayers, appreciate your prayers, uh, but we'll plan on that for this week and uh, we'll, we'll jump into that. A couple other things. Uh, today is communion. If you did not pick up one of the little communion cups, we can give that to you. You can walk back and get one. It's on the table there. Trash cans are in the back, and so uh, you'll be able to dispose of those as you leave. Today is also our benevolent offering day. I haven't mentioned this much uh, over the years, but this is the day where we also ask you, if you will, to 
make a, a love offering to our deacon fund or benevolent offering. That's what we use to make sure that needs are met from people. And uh, it's very, very helpful. And uh, so we kind of set aside the communion Sunday to be the same Sunday that you do that. And with your giving, uh, if you haven't heard this before, we do have a box in the back. Somebody said to me uh, recently, I don't want a, my name on there. I don't want anybody to know my giving. So can I just put cash in there? Of course, you can do that. You can bring it by the office, however you want to do those kind of things, okay? So uh, the point is, is that you just give to the Lord's needs or what the Lord asks us to give to out of a, a willing heart, and God will, will bless you for it. So today is Communion Sunday, so I pray that even now you'll begin to uh, prepare your heart for that at the end of the service. And then I just want to say one last thing, too, about yesterday. If you were here for the Christmas, uh, the shoebox um, um, regional meeting uh, just raise your hand right quick. I know several of you were. Um, a tremendous showing from our church. I didn't know everybody was here. The regional director was here. But I have to tell you, I was sitting in the back just listening, and I was just overjoyed to be a part of a church that takes ministry seriously. It was a blessing. This box, in fact, is, is not for pastor donations. No, it's, <laughs> that's not what that's, that's all about. I guess I could change that. That might be a good idea. But... Now, this is for the shoebox. You know, it's costly to do this. Uh, many of you know that. The boxes are $9 to ship. Uh, we're looking at over 1,000 boxes to go out this year. And uh, so Laurel Hill was asked to host this regional workshop because of the work that you have been doing with all of this. Uh, hats off to Dee, to Kitty, to all of you who work uh, year-round to make this happen uh, as a ministry. But what a joy. It was to, to know that we're part of a church that takes this kind of ministry so seriously. For those of you that were here, I was mentioning this early, earlier also. Did you notice the slide of the two young boys on the raft in the river? Uh, it was just there for a quick second, and they had three or four boxes, those big brown boxes on the raft. And I thought, oh my goodness, these things really do go everywhere. And uh, here are these two young boys paddling this raft, I guess, this makeshift raft along the river, and they got shoe boxes on it. And I'm just thinking they're going to get soaking wet and, and everything else. But, boy, God does it, doesn't he? And it's just a, what a joy. What an amazing thing. So that was a real blessing. Anyway, we're going to keep moving with God's ministry. Uh, we, we just don't let things stop us. Uh, we're going to be wise. We're going to be loving and caring and gracious and do everything we can that way. Uh, but we just believe that we should keep moving and uh, keep meeting and uh, doing everything the Lord gives us the privilege to do. We are the church. Amen? We're the church the church of Jesus Christ, the one that he gave his life for. So how can we do anything less but keep serving him? So that's what we're going to do with his help and with your work involved in all that. So with that being said, as we go to prayer now, let's make sure we're praying for the other churches out there. It's been on my mind a lot this morning. Uh, you know, there are some who have taken great stands. Um, and for all you may feel and think about that, the real issue with any of that is, is that we want to follow Christ above all else. And so he is our leader. Uh, certainly we submit and, and obey the authorities. We've been through all of that. But uh, in the end, we follow Christ uh, predominantly. And so we just need to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world and, and not knowing what may be coming our way one day and how Satan may try to stop even our gatherings. Uh, we just don't know. So, and I'm not faulting anyone. I want you to hear that. I'm not faulting people. I'm not pointing out any person. Uh, we know that all that happens against the work of the Lord uh, whether well-intentioned or not, can be and often is the work of Satan trying to stop the work of God. And so we just got to be wise and pray and, uh, and be loving through it all, right? Okay? 
So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer now and ask his blessings. Father, we thank you, as we always should, for the opportunity and the privilege of being a part of your family. By your own will, your own plan, your own desire, you made a way for the debt of our sin to be paid for. And so we never want to cease thanking you and praising you for who you are and being the God that you are. Lord, it is not in our hearts anywhere in any stretch to be rebellious, uh, to be a problem, uh, to cause problems. Uh, Lord, it is simply our desire to follow the God who created us and called us into the marvelous light that you have, the light of truth. It is our desire to spread and share your gospel so that other souls may be released from the prison of darkness and the overwhelming power of Satan. Lord, but we know that you're greater than all of that, and so we pray that you would use us as a church in this community uh, to be the love lights, to be the vehicles through which you will work in order to uh, reach people with the gospel. Lord, let them know that we love them, that you love them, and that you are a God of love, but yet you are a God who is very serious about sin. And so, Lord, may we be the examples that you've called us to be. Lord, we pray that you'd open our eyes to hear this morning spiritually, open our ears spiritually, that we might hear the truth of your message from Jesus' sermon, and that we may be all the better for it. And so do your work, we pray, in our lives. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. All right, would you please stand, as always, in honor of God's word, as we read now from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Through verse 8. Jesus now says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows that what you need before you ask Him. Amen. All right, please be seated. The title of the message this morning is Pray Like You Mean It. Okay? Pray Like You Mean It. This is going to be a push to touch our hearts, which is what Jesus is doing throughout this whole series of messages as he's really combining many subjects into this one sermon from the mountainside. And so we want to pray like we mean it. Now let's just talk about prayer this morning because that's the subject here. Prayer, if I could give you a definition, is nothing more than communication with God. It is just communication with God. And it really is so simple. There's really nothing hard about communicating with God. Now, you may be saying this morning, au contraire, Pastor Bruce. You don't know what's in my mind. You don't know how difficult this is for me. It's a real uh, subject that I struggle with. Well, it is really very, very simple. Let me just show you through some examples of how simple this is from the mind of a child. Like Norma, who was eight years old, she said, Dear God, how many angels are there in heaven? I would like to be the first kid in my class to know the answer. Okay, that's... That's funny, right? But that's a real prayer from a little eight-year-old. It's not hard. How about Hank? He's age seven. He says, Dear Lord, thank you for the nice day today. You even fooled the TV weatherman. 
pretty cool, right? God can trump the weatherman. It's amazing. And then there's Lois, age nine. She says, Dear God, please help me in school. I need help in spelling, adding, history, geography, and writing, but I don't need help in anything else. <laughs> I'm afraid we're a lot like Lois, don't you think? Right? We'll say, Lord, I really need you right now, but I'm good in these other areas. Right? And then there's Angela, who's age eight, and this was really my favorite, so I saved it for last. Dear God, this is my prayer. Could you please give my brother some brains? So far, he doesn't have any. <laughs> and we do laugh at those things, right? But prayer is not hard. Prayer is just simply talking to God, even in childlike fashion. But sadly, too many people are just, uh, for whatever word you want to put in there, afraid, uh, intimidated by prayer. And there are a lot of reasons for that. People will think, well, you know, as I think about prayer and I listen to others, uh, maybe I'll do it wrong. Maybe there's something that I'll say wrong or do wrong. Or um, they're more concerned about maybe the request that they have or that somebody will think ill of their request or how dare you ask the Lord of that kind of thing. And so there's that intimidation factor. Or a lot of people would just say, you know, every time I sit down to pray, I just can't focus but like 30 seconds and then I just lose concentration. I just can't keep my focus. Or people will say, I don't know what to say. I just don't know what to say. So anytime I'm praying, I just end up sitting in silence. It reminded me of this little story of the dad who took his son out to lunch one day and they went into this little diner and the dad set the little boy on the stool beside him and he said, son, as the food comes down, we're just going to pray silently. Okay, and so dad bows his head, and the little boy bows his head, and dad gives his prayer in silence, no words there, and he lifts up his head, and he looks over, and the little boy still bowed in prayer. And a couple minutes later, the little boy lifts up his head, and dad says, son, what in the world were you praying about so long? And he says, I don't know, dad, it was a silent prayer. <laughs> I think sometimes we kind of think like that. You know, if I just sit here long enough, maybe something will come out, and, and God will do something. You know, because we just aren't sure what prayer is all about. The problem with all of that, thinking, and those feelings, the emotion of it all, being very real, is, is really man-centered. It's very much centered on ourselves instead of simply obeying God, which is what the Lord has told us to do. And we'll see that in just a, fin a few minutes. Uh, too often, our prayerlessness is simply looking to him to help us in our needs and in our weaknesses. And, and this is not wrong, per se, or to seek his mind or a matter on some concern, but uh, the point I'm trying to make is that often our prayers are about ourselves. They become very inwardly focused. Okay, now, don't get me wrong. That's not wrong. It's not wrong to talk to our Heavenly Father about whatever it is, but the point Jesus is making here is that that's exactly what the religious leaders began to do. And that's what he's calling them out about. They made even their prayers, just like we saw last time about their giving, about themselves. It became more about them. And so Jesus is saying, this is what I don't want you to do. And so he exposes certain areas here of their life so that the people would hear and know what they're not to do. And so let's do that with Jesus. So he says in verse 5, first of all, when you pray, you are to not be like these hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogue. So you can hear him saying it's all about them. And on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. 
It's a very similar structure to what he talked about with the giving. Now he's talking about this particular subject. But notice again, like last time, he's talking about a subject that we should be doing. Just like our giving, we should be praying people. Notice he says, when you pray. He's not saying, now, if there comes a time where you think in your life somewhere that you might ought to pray, he doesn't say that, you know, when you get into deep trouble and there's nothing else to do, you might want to think about praying. No, he simply says, when you pray. The idea is there, you should be praying people. He's understanding that or wanting them to understand that, which is repeated throughout other places in Scripture. I mean, prayer is critical for God's people, and God's people know that. Job, in fact, is one of the first examples. In Job 42, verse 10, Job just simply said this, the Lord restored, or Job writing this, wrote this about himself, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. In other words, if you remember the story of Job, he went through a really challenging time, and his friends kind of gave him a hard time about that, saying that there must have been something wrong with you, Job, and that's why God has done all of this to you. But Job even had the heart to pray for his friends. So just simple point of Job praying. Then the psalmist in Psalm 102, 17 says, God has regarded the prayer of the destitute and has not despised their prayer. God hears and listens to our prayers, according to the psalmist. Jesus later in Matthew's gospel still will say in chapter 26, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So here again, the Lord is even emphasizing Prayer is essential. It is essential even to guard you against temptation. Paul says, one of the most famous verses on prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, that we are to pray without ceasing. And some people have said, man alive, how do I do that? Am I to sit in the church sanctuary and just keep my head bowed and my hands clasped or, and just never go to work? I mean, some people have thought that legitimately, right? They're, they're learning. And no, that's not what Paul means. Paul means that we should always be in the heart attitude of prayer. Prayer is critical. He would say to the church in, in Philippi, be anxious for nothing, chapter 4, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then James, a very powerful verse that you really ought to mark in your Bible or at least put it in the flyleaf somewhere. 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. But this is the part I was thinking about. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. It can accomplish much. God looks to his people to pray. And so the Lord assumes... It's an assumption, it's a presumption that his people will be praying people. It is not optional. And so I think we could say it this way, just the opposite. To not pray is to be disobedient to the Lord. It really is that straightforward. Which is why Jesus gives now both a positive and negative reward for those people who pray. And this is what he's showing us here just like he did with those who give alms. And nobody should have known better than the religious leaders. I mean, they were God's chosen people. The Hebrew people were literally God's chosen people. And you see this in Deuteronomy 7, 6. I'm not going to read the verse, but you could mark that down and go back and read it. Uh, read it. God says, you were hand-selected to be my people. And part of all of that throughout the Old Testament is God's requirement for them to pray. But the problem is... Very much like human nature, 
as other things do in the spiritual life, become mechanical and routine and rote, uh, just going through the motions, prayer became one of those things as well. Instead of a heartfelt desire for those religious leaders as they would lead the people in prayer, they became prayerless in their power, or they came, became powerless in their prayer because the religious leaders lost sight of what God had called them to do. And can I dare say that a church will also lose its power when the leaders lose sight of their the need and the necessity to be praying people. So there's a great requirement upon those who lead, myself here included, uh, that we make sure that we are leading you properly in this way. So we call you to prayer at times because prayer is essential. It is critical. It is not optional. God wants us to be people who are communicating with him, not to be robotic, not to be mechanical, not to be just somehow distant in our mind, but with our hearts fully engaged. But unfortunately, people still, and this has happened to all of us, we become very mechanized, if you will. Our prayers become often remembered or memorized, uh, sounded off at any moment, depending on what the situation is, uh, or whatever the perceived need might be, with little to no thought about what's really being said. And now you all have been there. I've been there. We do this somewhat, unfortunately, regularly, where we just spit out a prayer. And there's not anything inherently wrong with a re recited or memorized prayer, but when we lose the heart of the prayer, and when we lose the heart of what we're doing, that's when it becomes wrong. One of the comical things that I remember about my dad was that there was a time where uh, he was offering up the afternoon or evening meal prayer, which he often did. He just kind of became the one who did that. And uh, we were sitting around as he prayed, and as we, he would often always end in Jesus' name, amen. At the end of it, he instead just said, bye. And so <laughs> he's praying through the thanksgiving of the meal and gets to the end and just says, bye. <laughs> and we said, dad, you just said, bye. He said, I did? He had just gotten so routine in the prayer that he didn't even realize what he was saying. And so we all do that. Making it much like prayer just becomes a religious duty instead of really understanding what we've done. How many times have you been sitting at a table where somebody offered up the dinner prayer or the morning prayer or whatever it might be for the food and you get halfway through your conversation and you say, did we pray yet? Right? It happens. It happens to all of us. Unfortunately, little thought to prayer is often given because it's just another thing to do. It becomes very routine for us instead of being that vital connection to God where we pour our souls and our hearts out into whatever the situation may be. And it wasn't because the leaders didn't believe in prayer. I want to give them a little bit of a break here. It wasn't that they didn't believe in prayer. God had clearly said to seek him in the morning. David lists a beautiful prayer in Psalm 63. Listen to his heart here. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Do you hear the heart of David in this? My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Wow, what a prayer. You say, oh man, but that's King David. 
I could never do that. Well, you could if your heart was in it, right? It's not about the words. It's not about what somebody else says. It's about the fact that God wants us to communicate with Him. Unfortunately, we just miss that because we're too concerned, and let's just say it like it is, we're often too concerned about how we're going to look. What other people are going to think about us? We become that person who thinks too much about ourselves, and so we fall into the same kind of trap. And so there was another problem Jesus points out here, is that they not only had to become basically mechanized or thoughtless behind it all, that's really the underlying theme, but the other problem was prayer had become something only for specific times. They had relegated it to certain times of the day or certain situations, but not when the need arose. There was only a certain occasion to do that. It was not that something was wrong about praying at specific times. We have a great example from Daniel's life. Daniel was, if you remember, he was kind of trapped by those that wanted to uh, get rid of him when he prayed three times a day in front of a window. Remember, that's how they knew that this was going on when the people were commanded not to pray to another god. And we do that. We have certain times of prayer. We've called you to prayer at, on Sunday mornings at 841. You remember that? We said 841 because it helps us remember that we're to be here for prayer. We just had a prayer a moment ago. That becomes very normal for us in our Sunday morning gatherings. And so it's not wrong for us to do that. We pray at various specific times. The danger in all of it is that the meaning or the intention of the prayer is often forgotten or becomes very systematic. It becomes, oh, well, I'll just catch it next time. I'll just catch up or I'll just do it next time, whatever you may be thinking in your mind. And we often don't even remember what the other person was saying or doing, as I was mentioning a second ago. We should take a quiz at some point and ask someone to come and pray, and then at the end of it all, we should just kind of one of those pop quizzes, you know, not give you the warning, but just say, okay, can you recite back what this person was asking about? Now, I'll be in the other room when we do that, so I won't be a part. I'm just kidding, because I have as much a problem with any of this as anybody else. A third problem was the leader's prayer was that their prayers got longer and louder. And Jesus is talking about that in this section as well. Thinking that the longer they prayed, length of time I'm talking about, and the louder they prayed, the more spiritual they would appear in front of others. Now that seems a little bit silly to me until you really think about it. But people often do this kind of thing. Uh, not purposefully in a lot of ways, but they do think that the more I pray louder and longer, the more maybe people will ask me to pray. You see, we're so subliminally attacked in our sinfulness by Satan that we don't even know really what we're doing. We have this tendency to elevate ourselves spiritually at times when we really have no business of doing that. And I think that's what was happening with these religious leaders. They became people who didn't pray because there was a need, but they prayed just because they wanted other people to hear them, almost as if this was some kind of competition. And again, that's how it often unfolds. People say, well, I don't really want to go to a prayer meeting for many reasons, but this one in particular, and I've had people say this to me, I just don't pray that well. Well, what does that mean? Do you get the point? What do you mean you don't pray well? Who are you gauging your prayers with? Are you gauging your prayers based on how you hear someone else pray? Some people are unbelievable in their prayers, like King David. And we look at that and we go, oh my gosh, it's just so flows and it's just so beautiful. Um, but we would say, I, I can't do that. Some people would say that. 
And so this idea of getting louder and longer kind of elevated the person into thinking that, yeah, I'm better than you. I'm more spiritually alert than you are. And so you should just be quiet and let me do all the leading spiritually. Right? But do you see the wrong heart in all of that? Of course you do. Well, fourthly now, he says something else. They believe that their prayers were a way, and we've already talked about this, to basically elevate themselves so that they could be seen. And that's what Jesus is focusing on here. Because to be focused on anything or anyone else other than God, this is why Jesus is focusing on this, is to deny the very nature of what prayer is all about. This is the danger of it all. Listen, prayer, beloved, is about whom? It's about God. Prayer is not about you. It's not about me. Prayer is about God. To make prayer anything less than about God is to put ourselves on the throne. We become the God that we are praying to. The people around us who are hearing us become the gods to whom we are praying to. And that's why we get intimidated because we're wanting to please either the God in ourselves or the gods around us instead of just in our hearts praying to the God that is and letting him hear us openly. Like a child, Paul Miller, who if you remember in the study that we did on a praying life on Wednesday nights, you remember how he said we should come to God as a child, comes to their father or to their mother, dirty, unkempt, messed up, not concerned about how they sound. They just, like these children in the beginning of the sermon, just blurt out what's on their mind. Now, it doesn't mean that our prayers don't become a little more mature as we grow in our spiritual lives, and that's one thing. But really, the heart of the matter should be that we just come to God as we are, just like we are, without any pretense of anything, but just to offer what we need to Him from our hearts. Like when we begin our worship service, when we have a need for something, we just should be saying in the midst of the being together, focusing one-on-one -on -one with God and just hearing and communicating with Him. Now, fifthly, I want to skip verse 6 just for a second and jump to verse 7 because this is dealing more with one of the things that Jesus is dealing with the false leaders about is that prayer is not to be a lot of repetition. I hope you'll listen to this because this kind of really hits us where we are a lot of times. Prayer is not to be a lot of repetition. Notice in verse 7, he says, When you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they're going to have their reward. Basically, they like to be heard for their many words. Now, this idea of meaningless repetition simply is just referring to some type of idle chatter. Basically, you're just saying something to be heard or meaningless babble, if you wanted to get the strictest definition of it. But basically the idea is it's just thoughtless. Your prayer is just, it has no thought behind it. It's just something that's just coming out. And that was very common in Jesus' day uh, among all the pagan groups that were around them. Even in private prayer, among the Hebrews, it began to be believed that if I just say the same thing over and over and over again, then eventually God will hear me. And he'll respond in a way that I need him to respond. Which again was the pagan practice. In fact, one of the best examples of this is back with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. You'll see how this was a common practice among the pagan people. Notice in chapter 18, verse 25, 
the situation is Elijah, the prophet of God, has called out to these prophets of Baal to challenge them basically about, hey, your God is no God at all, and I'm going to prove this to you right now. And so here's what happens in verse 25. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first for you are many. In other words, there's a bunch of them. And call on the name of your God, little g, but put no fire under it. Verse 26, then they listened to him basically and took the ox which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal, watch this, from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. And evidently that was their prayer. From morning till noon, O Baal, answer us. Imagine that repetition. Oh, Baal, answer us. How'd you like to be in that prayer meeting? But notice what happens. <clears throat> but there was no voice and no one answered. And so they leaped about the altar which they made. In other words, they looked like a bunch of Mexican jumping beans. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Hey, call out with a loud voice for he... For he is a God, either he is occupied or gone aside, or is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. And so they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And verse 29, when midday had passed, they continued on until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. That was the common practice among those who were the ungodly. You and I, I particularly, as I'm thinking about myself, have been in prayer meetings where this kind of repetition is common. Uh, my wife will remember this. There used to be a man uh, many years ago in the church that uh, we were a part of that was called to pray on at times as the pastor would be commonly calling on various men uh, during the weeks to pray. And this one man would stand up, and, and, and I hope I don't mean to do him any credit, but just discredit, but just to make the point, he would stand up and his prayer was, Oh, God! Oh, God! Oh! repeat that like five or six times and I remember thinking to myself I think he got his attention but this was the common practice now, again I don't mean to do any discredit to him I won't judge his heart at least outwardly there didn't look like there was any hypocrisy there I don't know about the heart but what it means is that when we repeat ourselves like that it's either because we really don't know what to say are we really just not connecting with God at all? And so all of that repetition sounds real sincere and sounds like it, it's going to have some effect on God and eventually he'll respond to our request. And to be fair, people who repeat a lot think it comes from passages out of Scripture like these two particularly. Go with me to Luke chapter 18 or just look on the board. I think I've given you to see this on the board. Luke 18, beginning in verse 1. This is about the persistent woman with the judge. Okay? And people will assume wrongly according to what the text is being said or what the text is saying here. So Jesus, uh, uh, Luke writes this. Now, Jesus was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. 
Okay? This is that persistence in prayer. Saying, and here's the parable, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. Okay? So he was an ungodly guy. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And people have taken that, and it's also, in my opinion, been wrongly taught that this is the matter of prayer that we should so persist in our prayer that we just wear God out. And eventually he'll just be so tired of us coming to him that he'll just have to give in to shut us up. But that's not the meaning of the parable at all. Notice in verse 6, Jesus continues. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Okay, hear that. Now will God not bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? Do you see the contrast, the contrast that Jesus is making here between the unjust judge and the righteous God? Notice this. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them when? Quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, he is saying through this parable, you don't need to badger God in vainless repetition. God loves you. He hears you. He will respond to you in his own time, in his own way. If an earthly judge finally gives in, the point is, how much more will your heavenly Father who loves you and cares passionately about you respond ever more so quickly? Do you see the point? Very important that we understand that. Here's another passage that's often taken to mean the same thing in Luke chapter 5 as well, earlier chapter, but Luke's gospel. This is about the man who comes and keeps banging on his neighbor's door while the neighbor is asleep. So it starts in verse 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John, that's John the Baptist, also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, and we're going to cover this next time, Lord willing, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Okay, there's the prayer. But then he says this in verse 5. Then he says, through parable, suppose one of you has a friend. And goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because of his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
So you see the point there. Again, a lot of people enter into their prayer life thinking that I've just got to be so persistent in this and eventually God will just be worn out and I will get what I need. At least he's going to have a fight with me because I'm serious about this and if he's not going to listen, I'm going to keep pestering until he does. In fact, many have built their theology on this. If you're from the Catholic background, you know this. The lighting of candles and the perpetual lighting of candles are indicative of the prayers of the saints and those things that are continually being offered up as a way to try to affect God. Now, there's nothing wrong with that in itself alone affecting God. That's not the point. It's this constant belief or this belief that the incessant badgering of God is going to move God in some way when God has not said that. It's also the idea behind the rosary, the continual repetitive prayers of saying the Hail Marys and, and whatnot over and over and over again until eventually God will be pleased with your dedication. And he'll respond to your prayers. When God has never said anything like that, just the opposite. He has said, listen, if you come to me with a heartfelt request, I will answer you. I will answer you. I have no desire to do anything other than what is best for you and for my glory. Now again, it's not that we don't do the same things in repetition at times. We do do that. And we have to be careful of that. We've got to watch our own hearts. We're all human. What we need to remember is that prayer is not to be just some form of repeated babble. It's not to be thoughtless. It is to be very deeply met between our hearts and God's. And we should remember who it is that we're talking to. That this is not just the man upstairs. He's not just somebody who can rub the lamp and turn our prayers into some magic things just at our whim, but he is God who desires to hear from his children. Now, with that said, it's not wrong to repeat ourselves. Okay? So let's not be legalistic here either. It's not wrong to offer up the same concerns to God over and over again. What is wrong is that we enter into it in unbelief and having to do that as if God is just not listening to us. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. Maybe I need to hold my lips a little differently. Maybe I need to stand on one foot and God will notice. You know, we go through those kind of things when we're desperate. But God doesn't need us to do all of that. God will hear and God will respond. Now, the religious leaders violated all of what Jesus is saying here and even more. For example, it was normal for them to pray in the synagogues because they could be seen. That was very normal and all the better. And so they would stand and so all could hear their great prayer or they would pick a populated street corner so people would recognize them as being great spiritual leaders in all of them, when in reality, what they should have been doing, and this is what Jesus is saying, is your prayers should be an identification of yourself putting God on display. That's what prayer is really all about. Prayer is about putting God on display, not ourselves. But too often it is just the opposite. We are so full of pride and wanting to be noticed and wanting to be heard, which is what Jesus says will get us one thing. When we pray hypocritically like that about ourselves, he says, you will have your reward in full. 
in other words, like the giving of alms, you'll be recognized by people. People will be awed by how great you pray and how spiritually powerful you are because of your prayer. That will be your reward. But when the next guy comes along that's a little better than you are, they're going to forget all about you, right? That's the negative reward of all of that. And so just being clear now, it's not wrong to be heard in prayer. It's not wrong to be in a group praying out loud. There's absolutely nothing, nothing wrong with that. It's not wrong to stand in prayer or lay down in prayer, to kneel in prayer, to sit in prayer. You can be rowing a boat praying. You can be driving your car praying. There's nothing wrong with any of that. The problem always is with the heart. The Lord wants our heart in our prayer. And so now after he exposes all of this wrong attitude about the wrongness or the wrong ways or however you want to put it to pray, look at verse 6 now as we go backwards one verse. He says, so now when you pray, there's that assumption again, go into your inner room, Close the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In other words, pray whenever you want or whenever you feel the need. Prayer is endless. There's no prescribed time or occasion. What we do have is from the Apostle Paul who says, clearly, pray without ceasing. We should be always in an attitude of prayer, meaning prayer is to be a normal part. Listen, Prayer is to be a normal part of our everyday life. As God's people, we should never say, oh, I haven't prayed in a while. Now that happens in our humanness, but that should not be the norm. The norm should be we are praying people. God is not concerned about the time or the place of where we pray. What God is concerned about is the fact that he is on our minds, that he is continually a part of our thinking. And that we are always in conversation with him. We are listening to him. We are hearing from him. He is visible in our sight spiritually all the time. That God is a part of our lives. Which is why the Lord says, when you pray. That's what he means. No matter where you are, what you're doing, be praying. Be communicating with him in every situation. The only qualification is, don't pray for show. Don't do it so somebody else can hear you or be seen by somebody else so that you appear to be more special than the next guy. Those are the only qualifications. Now, to go to a closed or secret room that Jesus talks about here is not necessarily literal. It could be. But again, Jesus is placing the emphasis on the privacy of the heart. He's dealing with you and God, with me and God, privately, individually. So in other words, we could say the proper place to prepare ourselves for prayer is to seclude ourselves within our own hearts. And let me say that again, to seclude ourselves within our own hearts, meaning that when we're even in corporate prayer, we're not just hearing somebody else praying while we're looking at our watch, but we're in an attitude of private communion with God while that other one is praying. And we may be agreeing with them, We may be disagreeing with them, but we're in communication with God privately, even though we may be corporate in our togetherness. Okay, so that's not to say our prayer life should not be private. It should be. That's where we find the intimacy with God the most, isn't it? I was thinking of a situation years ago, again, talking about my dad, 
where my cousin and I had done something we should not have done, and it was found out by my mom, and that was mistake number one. Well, mistake number one was doing it, but being found out by my mom was a problem because she passed it on to my dad. And so I remember sitting dad, on my dad's lap. I was a young guy. I still remember it well, though. Uh, and he turned the lights off, and I sat there on his lap. And I remember the intimacy of that moment because I was terrified to tell my dad what I had done. But he sat there so calmly and quietly and there was no light on in the room. I don't know, I guess God just gave him that because he knew there's something about the darkness that causes us to feel a little covered, right? That's why sin loves the darkness. But my dad sat there patiently and as I shared with him finally what was going on, this warmth of joy and peace came over me because not only had I shared my heart, but I shared something intimate with my father that he just listened to lovingly and graciously received and forgave me and helped me through it. There is an intimacy that comes with meeting with God in the quietness of our lives that is essential. We must do that. And I think this is what Jesus is really alluding to here. He's saying, I believe that he's saying, listen, when you go into the privacy of your heart, there's a communion there with the Father like nothing else you will ever experience. And you've been there, haven't you? You know what I'm talking about. When there's no one else but God and you, and you know that God knows all about it. You know what the deal was? My dad knew all about already what I had done. But he wanted me to confess it. He already knew. But he sat there quietly while I shared what I should not have done because he knew that was right. And that's the way our Father works with us. We need that intimate time. And that's really the point about prayer. We're to be alone with God in our hearts even when we are in public prayer, in a praying group. It should be that kind of thinking. We're not just to pray so others will hear us. There's a funny story about, I think it was President Truman, who had a cabinet meeting, and he called for someone to pray in opening the meeting. And so they bowed their heads and began to pray, and the president evidently couldn't hear him. And so in the middle of the man's prayer, he shouted out, Hey, speak up a little bit, I can't hear you. And the man looked up at him kind of inquisitively and said, Well, Mr. President, I wasn't talking to you. That's pretty accurate, isn't it? You see, we're not praying to each other. We're praying to God. And so the intimacy of our prayers should be just like that. Even in a room of a thousand, when we lift up our voices to the Lord, it should be just us and our Father. We don't need to be afraid. He's not going to give us a snake when we ask for something good, right? That's what Jesus said. He's not going to give you something bad when your heart is coming to your Father. He loves you. And he wants to hear from you. And so Jesus says, now there is a benefit to this kind of prayer. And that's what he says here. When you go to your father in secret, he will reward us. And you say, well, what kind of reward am I going to get, Pastor? I say, well, I have no idea. I wish I could tell you that. I have my ideas. But he doesn't tell us here. What we can know is that surely it's going to be some kind of blessing. 
right? Because God delights to give us blessing. My guess is it's going to be some release from some worry or pain or frustration that we've been experiencing, some agony of our soul or of our heart or some joy over a need that's been met. Isn't that precious when God does that? There are a couple stories that I wanted to share with you that just, I think, just illustrate this so well. There's one by a Dr. Helen Rosevere who was a missionary to Zaire, And she tells the story of this. She says, A mother at our mission station died after giving birth to a premature baby. We tried to improvise an incubator to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle we had was beyond repair. So we asked the children to pray for the baby and for her sister. One of the girls responded, Dear God, please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late because by then the baby will be dead. And dear Lord, send a doll for the sister so she won't feel so lonely. That afternoon, a large package arrived from England. The children watched eagerly as we opened it. Much to, our, to their surprise, under some clothing was a hot water bottle. Immediately, the girl who had prayed so earnestly started to dig deeper, exclaiming, If God sent that, I'm sure he also sent a doll. And she was right. The Heavenly Father knew in advance of that child's sincere requests And five months earlier, he had led ladies in a group to include both of those specific articles. Isn't that awesome? Now, that's a story, but I can tell you one that was personal to us. Debbie will remember this. We were in that same church that uh, she was a part of for a lot of years, and there was a boys' home that came there to make their ministry known, and they were were in Florida, and they would travel around to various churches, and they wanted people to know about their ministry. And so I remember specifically the the director standing up and he was talking about how they were a praying people. And he said, we had this one situation one time where we just had no meat for the boys. And so we had no money. We didn't know what we were going to do. And so we gathered the boys and we just simply began to pray, Lord, please provide meat. These boys need food. Well, they sat down at the table and they began to thank the Lord for what they did not have. And about that time, a knock came on the door, and they went to the door, the leader went to the door, and there was this old dirty farmer, kind of in his overalls, standing there, and didn't know the man, the man didn't know him. The farmer looked at him and said, Sir, I don't know why I'm here, except I felt compelled to come and bring to you some meat. And the pastor, the, the director, looked at him and said, Okay. And so the man said, The strangest thing happened. I was loading my prize bull onto, it's a true story, onto the trailer of my truck to take it to the market or somewhere. And would you know that while that bull was climbing up that ramp, it suddenly just dropped over dead, just like that. I'm looking at my prize bull, and I have no idea what to do with this. And for some reason, I just had the boys home on my mind. And so I thought, hmm, i got to get rid of this bull quickly. I wonder if they could use some meat. Isn't that amazing? That's a true story. And all of us were sitting in the congregation. I, well, I say all of us. I certainly was with tears in my eyes because I just thought, you know, God is just so awesome that he can do things before we even realize what he's doing. It's just absolutely amazing. So I don't know what the rewards are going to be. What I do know is that God has said, you will be rewarded. 
And God has this way of doing an amazing thing when he comes to giving rewards. I don't think anybody can top the rewards of God. Now notice lastly what Jesus says. He brings it all to conclusion here, and this is going to make sense for us as we look at it. So he simply says, so look, don't be like them. Don't be like the pagans. Don't be like those that just jump and holler and scream and shout and repeat over and over again trying to get attached to their God. Don't be like that. Listen, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Listen to that. Your father knows what you need even before you ask him. Now just let that settle in. I've been dealing with this all week, so just let that settle in for just a minute. What I hear him saying is, is that you don't need to be concerned with what others think or how other people are going to respond. You don't even need to be concerned about how your need is going to be met because your Heavenly Father has already said, I already know what your need is. I already know. I already know. I know better than you know what your need is. So don't worry about how you sound in your prayer. God wants you to share your heart with him. That's what he wants. He wants you to share your heart with him. He is your audience when you pray. He is attentive. He is in tune. He is listening. And get this, Jesus says, he already knows what you need before you ask him. He already knows. He loves you so much, you don't need to badger him. He already knows. You don't need to keep persuading him and sweet-talking him and tell him all the reasons why he should do this. He already knows what your needs are. You don't have to try to convince him to understand something that he probably doesn't understand. And that's often the way we approach him. God, you just don't understand. This has to happen right now. Where are you? Well, the Lord says, your father knows what you need. He already has what you need. In fact, the psalmist says, Psalm 38, 9, Lord, all my desire is before you. Listen to what he says. All my desire. What could you lump under that? All my desire is before you, and my sight is not hidden from you. My sight is not hidden from you. The Lord sees everything that goes on in our life. There's not one thing that the Lord doesn't already know about you and me. And so you say, well, so if that's the case, why in the world do I need to pray? Well, number one, God says we're supposed to pray. And that's good enough, right? But secondly, beyond that, God uses our prayer. Now get this. God uses our prayers, not for us, but to display himself. Wow. Wow. God wants us to pray so that he will be put on display. Go back to those illustrations and many thousands of others. How many times have you prayed over something and God has already responded to it long before you even started praying? Five months, six months, putting that doctor in place, giving you that person who needed to sell their car, have their house for sale, clothing, food, whatever it is, it's already there. You didn't know it until you started praying for it, and then God puts himself on display and shows you how he's already met the need. Now, the sad part is we often want the need met some other way instead of just taking what God provides for us. But the reality is 
that is absolutely true. Somebody said prayer is not so God will better understand what is going on with us. That's where we typically begin, right? God, I just got to tell you this because I know you're over there in Europe doing some work and you're down in Southeast Asia doing some work and you may not have heard about this, so let me introduce you to this thought. Prayer is not so God will better understand what's going on with us, but for us to have an opportunity to see his power work. It's all about God. Prayer is all about God. Listen, God wants us to pray even though he knows what we need before we ask. His perfect mind already has the answer. Already has it. But he wants us to pray because his works, he wants his works to be in harmony with our requests. Or say that the other way around. He wants our requests to be in harmony with what will put him on display. That's why John says in 1 John, pray according to the will of the Lord. If it's God's will, he will hear us. Now, don't be confused by that. God always hears based on everything we've talked about here. John is bringing together something else in that thought there. So let me give you another reason. God wants us to be unselfish in what we are doing. Sometimes our desires are so selfish. They're just so selfish. We have such a wrong motive in what we're praying about. And so prayer helps us to see our own hearts, right? It exposes what's really there within us. And God is always so gracious to respond. One writer put it this way. He said, if the request is wrong, God says, no. If the request or the timing is wrong, God says, slow down. If you're wrong, God says, I want you to grow. But if the request is right, the timing is right, and you are right, God says, go. Isn't that great? It seems so simple. In fact, it almost seems too simple. But that's the work of the Lord. That's how God works in us, through simplistic means. And you know what the most simplistic means of God to work in us is? His prayer. Listen, is there any reason why Satan tries to keep you and me from prayer? Yeah. Because it keeps God from being on display, right? In our lives. If we, be, if we will be in purpose to be a praying people, which will become a praying church, God will put himself on display. And we will see amazing things. But we got to believe in what the Lord has said. Too often, we come to the Lord. James says this, you come to the Lord and your prayers are not answered because you ask with the wrong motives, right? And so what happens? We don't see the answer, and so we stop praying. Oh, well, I guess God just doesn't love me. He must love the other people so much more. No, it's that God wants us to change our thinking so that we follow what he said and put him on display, not us. That's again why John says, when you pray, you pray, Lord, here's my need. Here's what I'm asking for. Here's what I need you to do. But according to your will, you do it, right? Does that make sense? So Jesus says, listen, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't jump, shout, holler, hoopla, whatever. You don't need to do that. God already knows what your need is. And he's going to be more than glad to answer that need in his time and in his way. Amen? Prayer is communion with God. It's communion with God. 
And what better thing for us to do this morning than to finish out our service than have communion with the Lord? God left us this um, institution, if you will, this privilege, this act of remembrance, so that we would go to him and know and be reminded of his great willingness to commune with us. And so let's close out our time as Pastor Hamp comes and, and plays for us quietly. Uh, hopefully you got your little cup there, your bread cup thing. Isn't technology amazing? Right? Love this country. Bread on the bottom, juice on the top. You say, wait a minute, Pastor, my juice is on the bottom. <laughs> Whatever. Flip it over. You know, you, you got two items in one there. And so as you... As Pastor Ham begins to pray, I'm just going to walk us through this and, and go to our first, our, our, the passage that we often look at, which is Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. And not because of what Jesus did in the Gospels is unimportant, certainly not, but Paul just elaborates a little bit more here on the purpose of communion. And really the point is in verse 26. He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, it's always about the Lord, right? It's always about Him. Communion is your opportunity, my opportunity to have a relationship with God, an intimate setting with God. But what we're really doing is we're elevating Jesus and reminding ourselves that, hey, He gave His life for you and me, and one day He's coming back. And I want the world to know that. I want my heart to remember, and I want the world to know I believe Jesus is coming back. I believe he's God who paid the redemption price for my sin and he's coming back and he's going to make all things right. One day it may be that he takes us to be with him first but if not he's coming back and he'll right all the wrongs. Okay. Take part in that bread right now. Unwrap that, if you will, as I read this text, as Paul says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord and Jesus in the night that he was betrayed took bread. So there's the setting in the upper room. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I did it for you, but I want you to remember me. So take part in that bread if you will. And now in verse 25, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, I have instituted a new covenant which is lasting for eternity. My blood was given so that all of the old covenant has passed away. It has all been fulfilled in my death. This is the new covenant. And I'm giving this to you. So do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So please take part in that if you so choose. Father, we honor you for who you are and, and just thank you again. We'd never want to tire of thankfulness and being thankful. Lord, for all that you've done for us, 
thank you that you paid the price that you did willingly, willfully, so that we would have eternal life. Lord, on this day, as we set this time aside, we remember your word to us that we are to be praying people in the right way, with the right heart, but we are to be people who are remembering you always. Thank you, Lord, for being so selfless, so sacrificial, that you would give yourself the way that you did. Lord, we love you, not because we loved you first, but because you loved us first. And in turn, we have the love of you in our hearts now. And so we honor you with our lips and with our minds, with our emotions, and with everything that is about us. May we go from this place today being grateful for all that you've done. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Would you all stand once more? The Lord prepare me to be a sanctuary.